Brother Randy's going to preach a powerful sermon like he always does. Folks, we need to get serious about God. We need to get serious about who we are in Him and tell our story. Tell Him that Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? I hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it's closer now than it's ever been I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call And at the midnight cry, church, we'll be going home. I look around me, I see prophecies fulfilled. of the times they're appearing everywhere I can almost see the father as he says son go get my children At the midnight cry, the bride of Christ shall rise when Jesus steps out.
the midnight cry. He's coming back. Maybe at the midnight cry. Are you ready to meet Jesus in the air? He's coming back at the midnight cry. With our Jesus, our Jesus, like he meant it. Don't you love that? Hallelujah, Brother Joe. I love to see that enthusiasm. And you know what, beloved? The Lord has just worked it out. I did not know that Brother Joe was going to sing that until last night we talked. And yet, I'll tell you what, it's so absolutely a confirmation of what God's got on my heart today to share. And here's the title of the message, Give Me All in My Lamp, Keep Me Burning. That's exactly right. We are at a late time, and certainly I need oil in my lamp. I believe you need oil in your lamp, and we're going to talk about three reasons why you and I need oil in our lamp. You heard the words of that song Brother Joe just sang. There are some signs certainly all around us, and yet I want you to know when it comes to the rapture, harpazo, rapio of the church, the Bible indicates that Jesus will come immediately. We call that the imminency. That is any moment. And I certainly say even so come Lord Jesus. But you know what? There are some signs according to the book of Matthew that will indeed lead up to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I personally distinguish between the two, the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Is there anybody here today that needs a little oil in your lamp? Is there anybody here today your light has uh, uh, flickered out and you need some fresh oil? I believe all of us do for the days we've got ahead of us. Speaking of signs of the time, Deanna and I went to the airport. Have you been to the airport lately? That Atlanta airport, buddy, I'll tell you, that's a busy place. And uh, anyway, somebody said uh, uh, that the rapture that uh, uh, some would like to detour it to the Atlanta airport. But I got news for you. Jesus Christ doesn't ride on the Delta plane, bless God. He rides on the clouds of glory. Amen. And by the way, he doesn't ride on the back of a donkey or an elephant. He rides on the clouds because he is coming as the king of kings and the lord of lords amen and glory be to his name well then as we look today i want you to take your bibles and tell you three reasons that you and i need really to fill up our lamps today with oil and keep them burning and we're going to look today in the wonderful gospel of matthew i'll tell you where to look in just a moment but listen, here's where we're going. Here's why you and I need oil in our lamp. Number one, 
we need oil in our lamp to reach out, watch this, to reach out to those who are lost, those who are without hope, those who have not eternal life. We need fresh oil to reach out. Tell me, are you reaching out to those you know that aren't born again? That's why we need fresh oil. Have you been doing it lately? When's the last time you talked with somebody about the love of God? Even this week, we had the privilege. I met several folks and talked with them, and it's a privilege to share the good news. Anyway, number two, we'll see that in a moment. But number two, we need fresh oil. I believe you need fresh oil, not only to reach out to those who are without hope, there's a lot of people in our community, a lot of people in our neighborhoods who are without hope. They're hopeless. There's no future. You've got hope, and I've got hope because God is the God of all hope. Oh, yes, he is. Well, number two, we're going to need oil in our lamp, not only to reach out, but to make disciples, make disciples for those who are in a right relationship with God. Are you making disciples? I said, are you making disciples? We'll see. That's why we need fresh oil, to make disciples, to uh, pour in to others and they follow Jesus Christ. Have you got somebody right now that you're pouring into? Is there somebody you need to get to the altar today to pray for them? Is there somebody right now that God is bringing to your mind that you need to pour into them? Well, I'll tell you, it's going to take some oil. you got to have oil in your lamp. Keep me burning. You know, we used to sing that song, Brother Joe. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. You've probably heard it too. Give me oil in my lamp. What? I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Yes, I need oil. And you need oil. I'm convinced. You're tired. You're hot. It's weary times and vexing times in our nation. However, let's get all today to God to refresh us. There's a third reason why you and I need all. We'll see it in a very moment. I'm going ahead and telling you where we're going. Number three is not only for to all to reach out to those who are without hope and without eternal life. Number two, to have fresh oil to disciple, to pour into, make disciples, Jesus said. And certainly, after you become a Christian, we ought to be growing. Amen. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you understanding the will of God better? Are you able to share with somebody how they can know the will of God? Do you understand Bible doctrine? Could you explain the doctrine of uh, soteriology or how to be saved? Can you explain the doctrine of eschatology, the end times? Are you growing in not only your knowledge of Jesus Christ, but his word and being ready to give a defense of every man of the reason of the hope that's within you with meekness and with fear. First Peter 3.15, uh, Peter penned those words. Give a logical defense. Are you? Well, you're going to have to have all. I'm going to have to have all. Thirdly, we'll see in a moment, not only to reach out and to disciple, but number three, to be ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ immediately after the rapture, Brother Joe, in that passage that Paul said, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll, according to the Bible, stand before the Lord Jesus. That's what's called the beam of judgment, not to determine whether we go to heaven or hell, but rather to determine whether we'll receive rewards or suffer loss. How many want to be ready when the Lord, standing before the Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive what we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. We're not saved by works, but listen to me. If we are saved, there are going to be some good works. Yes, Paul said we're saved. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which he before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. God's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 13. He that begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. And if a man says he has faith and does not have works, this man's faith is dead according to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Take your Bibles, turn 
to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Stand as we read this wonderful, familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew 25. I just want to read verses 1 through verse number 13. Give me all, Lord, in my lamp. Keep me burning. I need fresh oil. I'm preaching to some daddies today. I'm preaching to some mamas today. I talked with a man just last night. Uh, before Brother Joe and I talked, and he's a father of two, eight-year-old and five-year-old. He said, Pastor, right now God is really working in my life. He said, my children, they're at a young age, and, and I'm trying to teach them a biblical worldview. Parents, are you teaching your children, grandparents, uh, a biblical worldview in a secular world? Wow. If we're going to do that, if we're going to follow the Lord, we've got to have oil in our lamp. Yes, we do. Chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, if you're there, say amen. Then, notice the first word, then. The word is tate, tate. And this is very important. The word then is an adverb, tate. And here's what it means. Matthew writing to the Jews to portray Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. I'll share a little bit more in a moment, but I'll just want to read to simply point out this. Chapter 25 comes after what? Chapter, I can't hear you. Chapter 25 comes after what? Well, what is chapter 24? It's called the Olivet Discourse. And they come together like a hand in a glove. It's important. And I'll share with you chapter 24. All this does is carry over the last week of our Lord. He pours into his disciples knowing he's fixing to be crucified on the cross, buried, but risen from the grave. And he wants, listen, he wants his followers, disciples to know what's ahead. He wants them to be prepared for the times in which they'll face and which we'll face and are facing today. So, that word then, don't just read it and think it's just there, just a happen chance. Then connects chapter 24 to chapter 25. Please make a note of that because we're going to talk about chapter 25 in the technical interpretation first and then the practical application, all right? Hold that thought. Chapter 25, then Jesus said, shall the kingdom, Basileus, the word kingdom means that literal physical kingdom on earth when Christ comes and sits on his throne. I understand his universal kingdom is now. However, Jesus is not sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And therefore, I submit to you that a literal historical grammatical interpretation of Scripture, what we call hermeneutics, indicates that Jesus Christ will indeed come in his second coming and inaugurate and usher in his millennial kingdom. And thank God, his kingdom, there should be no end. And the church said... We'll come back with him, by the way. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. No oil with them. Say that with me. No oil with them. Say that with me. They didn't have any all. Verse number four. But the wise took all in their vessels with their lamps. The wise took all in their vessels with their lamps. God's saying, if you want to be wise, I'm jumping from practical application, from technical interpretation. If you want to be wise, I'm telling you, you need all in your lamp. And I got a feeling there's some of us running low right now. You're tired. You weird, your spiritual life is maybe... Uh, uh, suffering a little bit, maybe uh, really not growing, maybe you've gotten vexed or frustrated. God, give us all, give us all, Lord, give us all to serve you. Keep reading. And notice, but the wise, verse 4, took all in their vessels with their lamps, and while the bridegroom tarried, while the bridegroom tarried, say that with me, while the bridegroom tarried, say that with me. The bridegroom's tarrying right now. I know this is in reference to the second coming, but also practical application, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of the church. I'll explain a little bit more in a moment, but hold that thought. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. I'd say that was, a, uh, unfortunately, a picture of many Christians today asleep at Zion. Oh, if there's ever a time we need to be awake, it's now. Notice verse 6, and at midnight, there's that midnight cry, Brother Joe, at midnight, at midnight. I've been thinking about this all week long. Like I said, I didn't know Brother Joe was going to sing that. At midnight, 
God knew it, though. That's the most important thing. There was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10, please note it. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. Say that with me. And the door was shut. One more time. What does that mean? Verse 11, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Think about what that just, Jesus said, I know you not. Oh, I know about you. But Jesus said, I don't know you. Does Jesus do you have a relationship with him, not religion? I know you not. You might know about him, but knowing him personally is the real question. Verse 13, and we're done. Watch, therefore, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day. Keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who came to him in chapter 24 and said, how are we going to know when you're coming? What are the signs of your coming? And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Jesus said, watch to his disciples, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Father, thank you that your word is true. And the church said, and oh God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we submit our wills to your will. We yield afresh to you. We pray now for ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hearts to be ready to obey what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And our minds open, cleanse us from cluttered, cloudy, uncommitted minds. Give us, Lord, clear minds to think on these things. And then change us, we pray, Holy Spirit. Transform us, mold us and make us, prepare us. Oh, God, we need you. I need fresh oil in my lamp, and I'm convinced others here, Sunday school teachers here, Lord, uh, Christians, servant leaders, Lord, families, husbands, wives, God, young people, we all need fresh oil in our lamps to fulfill our purpose, to continue to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold of eternal life, to be faithful to the finish. Oh, God. We need you now, and I praise you for your presence, your power, and look forward to seeing you one day. But until then, God, may we run the race, keep the faith, our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, because it'll be worth it all when we see you. Bless, save the lost, I pray now, those listening, and those here, Lord, that may know about you but really not know you. Oh, God, open hearts. Challenge us, Lord, as Christians to be everything you want us to be. We'll give you praise because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. You may be seated. All righty, here we go. Number one, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Why? Because Jesus calls us to reach out to those without hope or eternal life. Y'all look at me. How many believe that Jesus calls us to reach out to those that are lost? Are you doing it? 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 Are you reaching out to those that are lost? Hey, look, I love Christians. I love being around Christians. One of the things in ministry I find, Brother Joe, is if I'm not careful, I'm around Christians all the time. Now, I love being around Christians, but I have to make it a point to go and talk with people about their relationship with God. And so it is with you. Yes, call just to reach out to those without hope or eternal life. If you've got somebody on your heart today, how many have got at least one person you're praying for that you know is not saved? All right, very good. How many don't have anybody on your heart? 
How many need to get to the altar today and say, Lord, put at least one person on my heart to pray and then go and talk with them about their relationship with you? Why? Because life is but a vapor. Number two, Jesus calls us not only to reach out to those without hope and eternal life, Matthew 25, 12. Jesus said, I knew you not. I know you not. And then Jesus calls us to disciple those who are Christians. Matthew 25, 13, watch and pray. No man knows the day nor the hour. Watch and be ready. Number three, Jesus calls us to prepare to stand before his judgment seat. This is what God birthed in my heart to share with you today these thoughts as we make practical application. Now then, let me share with you the technical interpretation of Matthew 25. I said what all I did in uh, Matthew 25 because I want you to get it from a biblical perspective. Number one, Jesus calls us to reach out to those without hope or eternal life. Notice the text. Verse 12, but he answered and said, that is to those five unwise virgins who had no all. There'll be some of you, listen, I wish I didn't have to say this, there'll be some of us today that won't get our lamps filled up. We'll leave with no oil in our lamp, our light's about to go out, or there might be somebody you today that really have not passed from death into life. I was baptized at 13 years old, but not saved. You see, Jesus said you got to be born again. But wait a minute, let me carry you, first of all, to talk about the context of this particular passage. I believe personally, technically speaking, the reference to Matthew 25 is in regards to the tribulation time. How do I derive that conclusion? I'll tell you how. Because if you go back to chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, you find out there'll be signs leading up to Jesus Christ's second coming. Please note up here for a moment. If you would, look up here a moment. And notice, I believe personally the rapture of the church will take place before the tribulation for a number of reasons, biblically speaking. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God's not appointed us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. And furthermore, Revelation 3.10, John wrote to the church of Philadelphia, I'll keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world. And other references concerning the wrath of God. We're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Therefore, the church will not go through the wrath of God, the tribulation. Secondly, not only that, but the tribulation was meant for the evangelization of the Jews. Keep in mind, who is Jesus talking to here? I'm talking about the technical interpretation of the Bible. See, there's a lot of people that are misunderstanding and taking Bible scriptures and making them fit to whatever they want them to fit, but to stay true to the Word of God. And here's how. We read the text, and uh, who is Jesus talking to? The disciples. Is he talking to the church? Wait a minute. The church had not really fully been birthed at that point. Do you agree with me? If you agree with me, shake your head. If you don't know, say, I don't know. I'll tell you this. Acts chapter 2 is the birthday of the church, not Matthew 24. Therefore, Jesus is preparing the disciples what will come, the Jews, the Jews. These are Jewish disciples. It's important to distinguish that. Otherwise, you get off track and you say, this is talking about the rapture, the ten virgins. It's not talking about the rapture, technically speaking. Rather, it's talking about the tribulation time. How do I know that? Hold, hold on, hold on. All right? So the, the tribulation was meant for the evangelization of the Jews. Hey, by the way, if you've been missing Sunday night, you've been missing a lot of this study. That's why we've been studying this on Sunday night. We've been covering this. I see Eddie shaking his head back there. It's a blessing to come to learn the Word of God and study the Word of God. Therefore, when I preach a message like this, you're not trying to grasp it all and say, wait a minute, I'm not sure about all this because we're talking about a lot of end-time events. Matter of fact, tonight we're going to be talking about more. And my heart as your pastor bleeds literally for the saints to grow in grace and knowledge, to be uh, able to defend what you believe. But many Christians, unfortunately, aren't taking advantage of the time to study the Bible. And so that's why I'm saying, come please and be prepared. You'll be glad you did. You'll be able to talk with your children, grandchildren, and other people watching the news. You mentioned Fox News. You'll be able to distinguish what some are saying that these signs of the time, uh, for example, uh, there's a lot of false prophecies going on. Jesus said in Matthew 24 concerning the tribulation time, 
he said, this is what some signs and certainly we're seeing today. There'd be wars and rumors of wars. Look what's happening in Israel with Gaza. Look what's happening in other parts of the world. Is there going to be peace in Jerusalem? I don't think so until the Prince of Peace comes. Look at the new change of leadership. Naphtali Bennett and the coalition of eight members, one of which is a man by the name of Lapid, who is a secularist. And furthermore, there is a uh, Palestinian Islamic Muslim on the coalition leadership in Israel. Did you know that? We've been talking about that. What kind of change is going to take place? How is Israel going to relate to Syria? How are they going to relate to Hamas? How are they going to relate to Hezbollah? What kind of relationship will they have with America? Well, how are they going to make decisions in a leadership position when they're faced with religious decisions? Naphtali Bennett is an Orthodox Jew. However, there is going to create a division upon the leadership. Enough said of that. All I'm telling you is wetting your appetite to know the times in which we're living. As the men of Issachar, they understood the times in which they're living, that they might know what they ought to do. All in my lamp. See, you can be learning a lot of this stuff if you'll come and sit under the Word of God and if you'll take some time and say, Lord, I want to be a disciple, a follower of the Lamb of God. I don't want to be confused. I don't want to be mixed up. I don't want people to tell me this and me be tossed to and from about I don't know what I believe. Oh, yes. So the two witnesses will preach the gospel according to Revelation chapter 11 and 144,000 Jews according to Revelation 7 Revelation 14 will be supernaturally sealed. In addition, this is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 through 27. Daniel said, 70 weeks are determined for thy people. 69 have already been fulfilled. Just like Daniel pinpointed, the Jews would come back and rebuild the temple after 49 years. Daniel said that. And Messiah would be cut off. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Precisely in the day Jesus Christ was crucified. And yet there's one week. There's Shabuah, Hiptop, one seven-year period. Daniel pinpointed for the Jews. Daniel's writing to the Jews. Therefore, that's going to be during this time when God fulfills his promises. So, Jesus is speaking to the Jews right here, technically speaking. I believe this particular passage, technically speaking, will take place during the tribulation. Not before the rapture, but after the rapture. Why? Matthew 24, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be pestilences, Jesus said. What's the word for pestilences? Infectious diseases. How about this time last year? Coronavirus. Jesus said there'd be more of this. Right now they're talking about the Delta virus. And right now there are other superbugs that antibiotics aren't even able to cure. We talked about that years ago. According to Consumer Report, people looked at you like you were out of space when you said there are viruses that uh, antibiotics won't... Oh, we live in America. We've got technology. I want to tell you one thing's for sure. God got our attention. God lets us know we're not in control. He's in control. That's why we need all in our lamp. Amen. Give me all, Lord, because there's some things I can't control. Give me all, Lord. There are people I can't control. Well, so as we come to this text in Matthew 25, these virgins are going, five of them are going to go into the millennial reign. They're waiting for the bridegroom. That is, the church will already be raptured. The judgment seat of Christ will take place after the rapture of the church. Rapture in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. John chapter 14. In my Father's house, the many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. The second coming, though, however, is listed in Matthew 24. How do I know that? I want to tell you something. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. There'd be false Christ rising in his name. pseudo prophetai. Time out. I'm going to pray for this man, but he's on television. Did you know? I read yesterday. He is required to pay $156,000 back. We're talking about a religious ruler on television, Jim Baker. Why? Because he said he had a cure for the coronavirus. Read it. Check it out. I'm talking about Jesus said there would be false Christ rising in his name. And the word false is pseudo. And Christ uh, 
false prophets prophesy. We're seeing it. But the average Christian, unfortunately, cannot discern between truth and error. Why? Because we're satisfied with less than God's best. The Lord wants us to put oil in our lamp. Lord, I've been playing games long enough. I hear somebody saying right now, Lord, I've been playing games long enough. Lord, I've been AWOL long enough. Lord, I've been drifting long enough. Lord, I've just been a baby Christian long enough. Oh, God, I want to grow. I want to be a soldier of the cross. I want to be a tool in the master's hand. Yes, so in Matthew 24, after the description of those signs, we went to the airport last week. There's signs, thank God, to where baggage claim is. Can I get a witness? Amen. Man, you get in that Atlanta airport, you don't know where you're going, and there's people all going here and there. Oh, baggage claim this way. Hey, go down the escalator. Go down the steps. You find your baggage. Signs, signs, signs. Then if you read Matthew 24, we haven't even got to 25 yet. Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus said, as the prophet Daniel spoke of, that time called, are you ready? Abomination of desolation. Jesus is referring to the tribulation time. The Antichrist will sit in the temple of God halfway through, showing himself that he is God. Paul makes reference in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And he says that he, the Antichrist, and Jesus makes reference in chapter 24. Before we read chapter 25, that tells me this is tribulation time. This is not before the tribulation. The Antichrist is not on, in the temple right now. Oh, there's many Antichrists, but not the man of sin. The son of perdition who opposes himself above all that is called God so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Wait a minute. Then our Lord said in Matthew 24, I'm giving you the context where you'll know the technical interpretation. If you keep reading, you'll find out Jesus said in verse 29 of chapter 24, immediately after the days of the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars from heaven shall fall, and then shall the Son of God come in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He said the tribulation. And then the Lord said in Matthew 24, verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but the Father only. As in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As in the days of Noah they were eating and drinking. By the way, the days of Noah, that was judgment. The rapture is not going to be judgment. We're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. Bliss and glory. Comfort one of these words. But when Christ comes in the second coming, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, he's in the air. His second coming, he's going to come out with the sword of the Spirit out of his mouth and the smite the nations. There's going to be war. The battle of Armageddon will take place. There's a vast difference in the two. And Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Two shall be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. I used to think that was the rapture. No, technically speaking, that will be here. One will be taken in judgment. One will be left to go into millennial reign. That's the thought process. It's judgment. Two women grinding at the meal. One will be taken. One will be left. Be also ready, for you think not the hour of the Son of Man comes. Well... Give me all, Lord, in my lamp. Keep me burning. Now, now that we've uh, concluded and derived the technical interpretation of Matthew 25, Jesus is told about the tribulation. What's going to take place? I just told you that for the last 10 minutes. Now, he moves in chapter 25. He's not going back to the rapture. He's going to the millennial reign. After the marriage to the Lamb, the church, we'll get ready to what we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's described in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. We'll be married to the Lamb and the church. We, along with those who are alive, Jews, will go into the 1,000-year reign. That is the technical interpretation. Now that we've decided that, we can draw some practical application. Today, what's happening, people are drawing practical application, leaving off the technical interpretation. And as a teacher or preacher of the Word of God, it's very important, I believe, to stay true to the Bible. Because a text taken out of context is a pretext. So, in other words, to fit Genesis to Revelation, it fits like a hand in glove. Now, it's all right, watch this, to draw from the technical interpretation. Now we're going to draw some practical application. Only after we've been true to the text, the Word of God. 
not twisting it, distorting it, and reading into our opinion. Here's what Jesus is saying historically, grammatically, doctrinally, and prophetically. Now, so what does this mean to us? I believe this means to us, number one, we ought to reach out to those without hope, without eternal life. Deanna and I went to the Grand Canyon. How many of y'all been to the Grand Canyon? Man, I walked to the Grand Canyon. I thought about what Brother Ralph said. He said, man, that's a great big hole in the ground. <laughs> we looked down one mile straight, ten miles away. And all I could think about is how great is our God. And, uh, you know, a flood created this. It didn't happen billions of years. Uh, our guide said something about billions of years. And I elbowed down and said, wait a minute, that's not true. Uh, let God be true and every man a liar. The universal flood. But here's the point. There were people standing out on rocks. Do you know how many people die, fall off of the Grand Canyon every year? At least 12. I can understand why. They climb over the fence. Man, that's, that's on the edge, buddy. That's too flirting with disaster. So, eternal life. I thought about people who die without God. It's worse than falling off the Grand Canyon. Going to a place where the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said about the rich man. He didn't die because and go to hell because he's rich. He died because he didn't have time for God. He didn't have a time when he said yes to Jesus. He didn't put his faith in God. The God of the Bible. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus who laid at his gates desiring to be fed with the crumbs that the, that the dogs ate. And the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass, Jesus said, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It came to pass the rich man died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, cried, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool off my tongue. The place I'm in is torment. Son, remember, in this lifetime you had good things, and likewise Lazarus evil. Now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Besides this, there's a great gulf fixed. That they which are there cannot come here, and they which are here cannot come there. I pray thee, Father, you'd send it to my father's house. I've got five brethren. He may... Testify to them. They come to this place of torment. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Nay, Father Abraham, if one rose from the dead, they repent. They'll not hear Moses and the prophets. Neither will they hear those who rose from the dead. To die and go to hell is an awful thing. Y'all listen to me. You can sit in a church and die and go to hell. You can sit here right this morning and die and go to hell without God. I love you. i got to tell you that. And, 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 and I'm afraid to say there's a lot of people referring to like me. I was baptized or I, I, I did this, I did that. What's your lifestyle like? Well, is there a change of lifestyle? Then in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hey, the hope in Jesus. He was crucified, buried, rose again. And he gives eternal life. I give him the eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John chapter 10, verse 28. Practical application. Number one, is there somebody you need to pray for this morning without hope? There's somebody you sitting right here in the church. It's not saved. And I would to God that nothing happens to you, but you don't know. I talked with a young man just the other day, 17 years old. I said, listen. It's appointed a man wants to die, but after this is judgment. Don't put off to, to, to today what you can to tomorrow, because we're not promised of tomorrow. I remember Sister Lorraine used to say, Brother Randy, we're not promised of tomorrow. I talked with Diane just the other night about that. Number two, not only give me all in my lap, Lord. I, I, I love you, but i got to be honest with you. I'm preaching to myself right now, okay? There's some of us who hadn't witnessed to somebody in a long, long time. You haven't told the good news. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. I'm glad you're here. Hallelujah. I love you anyway. You know that. But there's some of us who've just been sly. We got people in our mind and heart. Well, I hope they get saved. And then after the die, it's too late. It's too late. Talk with them now. Love them now. Don't, don't wait till it's too late. Just talk with them. They're not going to. I've noticed through the years, even in all these countries, Philippines, Honduras, Nicaragua, Israel, Turkey, Rome, <laughs> Las Vegas, somebody say amen. I don't care where you're at. 
there's a great need to be saved, be right with God. And if you go with the love in your heart, they're not going to blast you. I have very seldom times when they, and if they say, no, thank, you know, if they know you're not a Pharisee and you're going to try to beat them over the head with the Bible, if you really love them and tell them about Jesus, they're not going to. So what are you scared of? What are you scared of? Are you, are you wanting the fear? Are you of man? The fear of man brings a snare. Are we wanting acceptance from people? Is that why we're not sharing our faith? I'm not talking about being a Pharisee. I'm just talking about concern. Go and tell. Number one, reach out. Give me all. Some of us today say, Lord, I, I, you know, this is not legalism. Hear me. Hear me. I don't go and witness because I feel like I got to or God's going to beat me over the head with a baseball bat. I want to tell people about Jesus. Jesus changed my want to. Hello. And it's a privilege. The love of Christ motivates us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. That Christ who died for all, that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Look, if you're not burdened for lost sinners, something's wrong. And we need to get it right with God. Why? Jesus said he left the 99 went after one lost sheep. God, give us a burden. Give us a burden. Number two, Jesus calls us to be disciples to those who are Christians. Quickly, want to follow with me. Watch, therefore, number two, this is why I need oil in my lamp. Watch, therefore, for you know the day nor the night wherein the Son of Man cometh. Can I ask you a question? Are you discipling anybody right now? I didn't mean ten years ago. I didn't mean five years ago. Are you discipling someone right now? Jesus said the last words as he went, ascended to heaven. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you, even unto the end of the world. That's not the great omission, it's the great commission. Are you discipling somebody? I, I, now I'm talking about not just witnessing, now I'm talking about taking a Christian. Listen to what I mean by that. Three thoughts. One, as a discipler, you can go beside them. Encourage them, beside them. Are you going somebody encouraging them? Number two, you can go behind them to evaluate them. Number three, you can go before them to enlarge them. Did you get that? Enlarge them, encourage them, evaluate them. Go beside them, go before them, go behind them. Are you discipling somebody right now? Could it be that maybe you just kind of gotten off track and God wants to put somebody, hey, what should I do? How many believe that as it is, when you disciple somebody, you teach them how to walk with God, how to confess their sins. You teach them how to share their faith. This is, somebody says, but I'm embarrassed, or I can't do this, or I can cook. Well, bless God, do it. But you can write a card. You can call on the phone. You can, you can if you pray and ask God, I can't. God doesn't want our ability. He wants our availability. Exactly. So be available to God. Don't say, well, I can't do that and can't do that. Wait a minute. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So discipling means teaching them how to pray. Discipling means spending time with them praying. Discipling them means giving them some biblical understanding of how to know the will of God. Right now, you've probably got children right now who are making decisions and they have not the foggiest idea about what the will of God is in the matter. You could come alongside of them and say, how can you know the will of God? Here's how you can know it. One, two, three, four. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through circumstances. God speaks to us through godly counsel, whether it's a multitude of counselors, their safety. And God speaks to us inner peace. Let the peace of God rule. These are the kind of things that you need to be discipling others. Hello. Not only how to be in a relationship with God, but how about being a godly husband? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How about being godly wives? Wives, respect your husbands, Ephesians 5. A number of things in regards to discipling. Hey, God's called us to disciple. But, we're not, but, but Lord, i got to have oil in my lamp. I'm busy. i got a lot of things going on. I know that. I understand. I'm almost done. Hang with me. He calls us to reach out with, uh, to those without hope, eternal life. Are you going to do it today? Secondly, Jesus calls us to disciple who is God putting on your heart right now that you maybe need to get involved in their life? And, and uh, I'm glad that God's placed people in my life to pour into me. Amen. And I'm not just talking about me preaching on Sunday morning. I'm talking about getting one-on-one -on -one with people.
okay? During the week, talking with him, praying with him, pouring in. Thirdly, Jesus calls us to prepare to stand before his judgment. Notice chapter 25, verse 10. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they, they that were ready went in, and to him the marriage, and the door was shut. We'll stand before the Lord at the judgment seat. I've already alluded to that. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom when Christ comes, sets up his millennial kingdom. Yes, his universal kingdom is ruling now. However, Jesus is not here on the temple mount sitting on his throne, nor is the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled or the Davidic covenant or the land covenant or the new covenant as God promised Abraham, David, etc. as we study the Old Testament, which have not been fulfilled in the past, namely the possession of the land that the Jews will possess. However, only they possess 10%. Either God meant it or he didn't. And if I take the Bible literally, that means it must be fulfilled down the road. It is during the millennial reign. Christ will fulfill his uh, that's the literal rendering of the text I heard a story some years ago about a man at a railroad track and a train his job this particular man was to hold up the lantern warn people the train was coming Unfortunately, the train ran upon several vehicles and they were tragically killed. The worker of the railroad was asked to appear in the courtroom before a judge. The judge asked him, said, sir, did you have your lantern with you? He said, yes, your honor, I did. He said, sir, did you hold your lantern up? The man said, yes, sir, I did. He said, sir, did you try to warn the people that were coming in the car? There was a train coming. The railroad worker said, yes, sir, your honor, I did. And then the judge said, case dismissed. As the worker of the railroad was walking out of the courtroom, you could hear him say, I sure am glad he didn't ask me if my lantern was lit. Is your lantern lit? Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Stand together. 